Thanks for joining us for this message from Awakened Church. We believe in the power of God's Word, and we pray that you're encouraged by this message. Now lean in as we hear from God's Word together. It is good to be with you. If you would, turn in your Bibles to 1 Timothy chapter 2. We're going to be looking at verses 3 through 6 today in a message that's called the Cliff Notes of Easter. Now, I don't know about you. But English class and I did not get along very well. In fact, even just trying to start off that sentence was a little rough for me. Like, English is my first language, but you might think it might be my second or third sometimes, depending on how I speak. But English class was always tough for me. It was always one where I had to stay after school, and uh, I had to uh, do, uh, learn more after the fact because I just wasn't getting it in normal class time. Uh, I remember we had to diagram sentences. And I hate it. How many of you know what that is, by the way? Those are the worst things, right? Like, I think that is part of the fall. That's part of sin. Satan gave us diagramming sentences to annoy us because those things aren't from Jesus. I don't even get what they are. Like, I haven't even once used it in my entire life. But I would have to do that. But then also, I had to uh, stay after class or, or read these books uh, on a bunch of dead guys who wrote stories that I don't even think they knew how to speak English. I think sometimes they put letters and they're like, well, that's a word. And it didn't make any sense to me, and I hated it. There was a lot of in a lot of the words that they would say. And so I remember this one time in 10th grade so vividly. Like, I, I, I really remember this. We were assigned to read... Uh, William Shakespeare's Romeo and Juliet. How many of you guys had to read that in high school? Yeah, a few of you guys. Yeah, I had to read it in the 10th grade. And so for me, when I, when I was in school, and this is going to make me feel really old, but back in my day, I had to go to a bookstore to get a book. I didn't have iBooks. I didn't have a Kindle. Uh, I couldn't just Google it. Like I had to go to a physical bookstore. And so I went to Barnes and Noble on the west side of Albuquerque, and I picked up my copy of Romeo and Juliet. And I was thrilled because it was only 100 pages long. I was like, oh, I'll knock this out in a week. Like, I could even knock this out in a day if I really needed to. This is going to be easy. And so I bought my copy of it, and I put it on my dresser. And I thought, tomorrow, I'm going to read this book. (laughs) You know what happened. Tomorrow came. And I looked at it, and I said, I'm a little busy today. Tomorrow, I'm going to read this book. Well, the next day turned into another day, which turned into a week. That turned into two weeks. And before I knew it, the test was on a Friday night, and a month had gone by. And it it was Thursday night, and I had to take the test on Friday. And I was like, I'm not ready. I didn't even crack open the book. So I did what any responsible 10th grader did. I faked being sick. I told my parents, oh, I don't feel good. I don't think I can go to school tomorrow. This is the worst thing. So I got to stay home from school. I missed the test, but I thought, I have all weekend to make up for this. So I went back to the bookstore, and I got this little yellow book called Cliff's Notes. How many of you guys are familiar with Cliff's Notes, right? Like, or I've heard them be called Spark Notes as well. Uh, Same kind of thing, but it's a yellow book. And basically what it was, was it was a book that summarized whatever book you were supposed to read. And so I, I was like, I looked at it, and I was like, oh, 25 pages? This is so simple. And it was so great, because it would tell me the characters, it would tell me the scene, what's actually happening. It would use plain English for me. And so I was excited about it. But I even took it a step further. I got a better Cliff Notes. I got a movie called Romeo and Juliet starring Leonardo DiCaprio. You guys remember that? Oh, it's a good movie. If you haven't, I think it's $4.99 right now on iTunes. So uh, you can pick that up later. But I loved it. 
because it used the language of the book, but it put it in modern times. So I thought between the book, the Cliffs Notes, and the movie, I was set. So all weekend, I studied, I prepared. I got there Monday. The teacher looked at me and said, I changed the test. I didn't want you to call your friends and see what the test had. I, I made sure I changed all the questions. It didn't scare me. I knew what to do. I went in there, and let me tell you, I crushed that test. Those cliff notes, that movie came in clutch for me. I got an A on that test. Now, you might be sitting here today, and you might be thinking, what the heck does this have to do about Easter? Like, what is the point? Also, how did you become a pastor? Like, of all things, are you trying to teach my kids to lie and cheat, kind of borderline cheating? Like, what's happening here? What, how are you a pastor? Listen, here's the point. And the reason why I share this with you, because today's text here in 1 Timothy is all about summarizing. It's the cliff's notes of the good news, the gospel, the fact that God loves you. Because the whole story of the Bible, from Genesis to Revelation, is about how much God loves you and about how he is bringing and taking steps to bring us back into relationship with him, that he sent Jesus to forgive us of our sins. And we could today open up to Genesis 1-1 and start reading all the way to Revelation, but what we're going to do instead is we're going to look at the Notes version of this story. Because listen, today Easter is all about the good news that Jesus is alive. And because Jesus is alive, we need reminders that we're all in desperate need of his love. So let's look. 1 Timothy chapter 2, starting in verse 3. It says, This is good, and it is pleasing in the sight of God our Savior, who desires all people to be saved and come to the knowledge of truth. For there is one God... And there is one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all, which is the testimony given at the proper time. Here in 1 Timothy, we have the components of the whole story of the Bible. And so I want to summarize for you in three simple statements. The first one is this you have a purpose. You have a purpose. Here's what I mean by that. Your life matters. You have meaning, significance, value. And maybe you're here today and you don't feel that way. Maybe you feel like your life doesn't matter. Maybe you were told your whole life that you're a mistake, that you're a failure, that you don't matter, that you have no worth. But did you hear what God's word is saying to us? Because I want us to look at it again because I want to point out a very particular phrase in here in verse 4. It says this. This is good and pleasing in the sight of God our Savior who desires all people. Let's just look at that for just a minute. Because the word desires in the Greek means to want strongly or to intend or to purpose. See, what the Bible is telling us uh, something about the purpose of God. Paul, who is the author of this letter, he's writing this to a guy named Timothy, and he's reminding him, and he's saying, hey, here is God's desire. He has a desire for all people. That means he has a desire for everybody in this room, watching online, in our masked-only venue, people all over the world. He has a desire for all people. Now, I studied what this word all meant, just for clarification, and what I found out is all means all. It doesn't mean some people. It doesn't mean a certain group of people or a certain race of people or a certain class of people. All means all. And so what we're reading is that God has a desire for every human being. 
What that means is it doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter where you've come from. It doesn't matter your culture, your background. It doesn't even matter what you've done. The Bible is revealing something to us about the purpose of every single human being. And what is that purpose? It goes on to say in verse 4, to be saved and to come to the knowledge of truth. The word knowledge there is a relational word. It's a word that speaks of knowledge uh, that you come to gain through personal interaction. God's purpose for every single human being is to enjoy life out of the overflow of a personal relationship with him. Let me say it another way. God made you to know him, to love him, and to be known and loved by him. That's the reason, that's the purpose of your life. It doesn't matter who you are. God made you to have a relationship with him. And here's what that means. You'll never experience life apart from that relationship with God. Sure, you can live and you can exist, but you will never experience the fullness of this life as God intended it to be lived apart from God. Why? Because God's purpose for every single one of us is to know him, to love him, and to be known and loved by him. Everything else in life will find its meaning, its purpose, its significance, its value in that. And when we live that way, out of the overflow of this relationship with him, God created us to be close to him. See, this is how we were meant to live our lives. We were meant to live like this. Nothing was ever supposed to come between us. We were made to be in unity, in fellowship, in oneness, in a relationship with him. Nothing was supposed to come between us. And that's not true today, but that's been true since the beginning of time. I'll show you what I mean. Genesis chapter 1, verse 27 says, So God created man in his own image. The image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Now, what's this verse talking about? This verse is talking about the creation of the world. That's the context of what's happening. This is the, the beginning when God spoke and everything came into being. Everything came into existence. Everything we can touch, feel, taste, see. Everything came into existence. Galaxies, universes, the moon, the stars, the sun were all put into place when God spoke. And everything was created. And his greatest achievement of his creation was on the sixth day when he created man and woman. And he placed them in the middle of the garden over everything that he created so that they could have authority over everything he made. But look at what verse 28 says. It says, and God blessed them. And I think this is very interesting. Because that word blessed is a word that means to bow, to come low, to approach, or to come near. Now, when the word blessed is used in the Old Testament, it often is referring to us and how we relate to God. When blessed is used describing us, it's describing an act of worship where we recognize the greatness of God, where we realize the majesty and how powerful he is, and we bring ourselves low, and we bow before God, worshiping him, praising him, and blessing his name. Now, when I read this verse this week, I thought, this is a little weird. Shouldn't it say uh, that God created man in his own image, God created male and female, and they blessed God? I mean, just think about it. They've just been created. They've just been placed in the middle of the garden where God spoke everything into existence. I'm pretty sure they would have been filled with awe and wonder. Their jaws might have been dropped to the ground. They might have realized how powerful God is. 
I thought this verse should say, and they bowed, and they blessed God. But it doesn't say that. It says God blessed them. So what's this verse talking about? What this verse is showing us is that from the very second human beings were created, God humbled himself. He brought himself low. He brought himself near to us, and he clearly made his presence known to us. And here's why. Because God never meant and created us to live apart from him. We were to live in the presence of God. That's our purpose. We were to live all of life out of the overflow of a relationship with God, enjoying the very presence of God. That's what God created human beings for, were to be his children. God created us to be in relationship with him, to be close to him, to relate with him, and to be loved by him. That's what he wants from you and me. And I think that's why he gave himself the title Father. Because that title speaks of a close relationship, an intimate relationship, one that wants to be near and not apart. But then look at what it says next in this verse. And I love this because it says, and God said to them. Here's why I think this is important. Because God didn't have to speak to us. He didn't owe us anything. He is God. And yet the Bible says that God spoke to us. Meaning from that, the very beginning, the moment of creation, God wanted to have a conversation. He wanted to speak to us. Not only did he want his presence here, but he wanted to talk with us as well because he made us to know him and to love him. And all of life is to be lived out of the overflow of that relationship. That's why you were made. We were made with nothing in between us. That's the purpose of our life. But here's the second part. The summary statement is this. You have a problem. Now, when I say you have a problem, I'm included in that as well. So you and I have a problem. Because look at what it says. After Paul says that he desires all people to come to the knowledge and to be saved, he says this in verse 5. For there is one God, and there is one mediator between God and men. Now, we all know what a mediator is. A mediator comes between two parties to bring them together uh, that are they're opposed with one another and they work to bring them together to reconcile them again. And you might be sitting here and you might be thinking, whoa, 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 now, now wait a minute. I thought you just said that God created us with nothing in between us, that we were to live in the fellowship and relationship with him. And now you're saying that someone has to come in the middle and bring us together again? What separated us from God? Isaiah 59.2 says this, but your iniquities, now iniquities is just a fancy way of saying your sins. And when I looked at the translation of that, it means that we have twisted, we have perverted, we have distorted God's original picture for our lives. And so because of our sins, we have made a separation between you and your God. And your sins have hidden his face from you so that he does not hear. God made us to know him, to love him, and to be known and loved by him. But here's what happens. We sinned against God. And because we sinned against God, it broke, it separated, it ruined this relationship that we were supposed to have with God. Sin destroyed our ability to live the way that God originally designed us to live. And because Adam and Eve sinned, sin entered into the world. And since then, we've all chosen sin. 
You're not a victim of sin. You've chosen sin just like Adam and Eve did. And so when you look around the world and you see all the problems that we're facing, all the troubles, all the tragedies, when you look inside yourself and you see all the sin and the temptations and the struggles that you face, when you look at your spouse or your, your uh, friend or that relative or your boyfriend and girlfriend, you see all the things in them that bother you, that annoy you and their struggles. When you see all the problems with our world and in our world, it all goes back to this one problem called sin. And the Bible makes it clear that it's a problem that we all have. See, it doesn't take a magical number to make you a sinner. It's not like 10 sins and you're out. It only takes one sin to qualify you to be a sinner. In fact, Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Which is just another way of saying that we all did what Adam and Eve did, and we just stepped over the boundary that God had put in place, and we chose sin. And you might be sitting there, and you might be going, oh, not me. I didn't do that. Well, you just lied, so welcome to the club. You're all with us right now. (laughs) We're all sinners, and we're glad to have another one join us right now, okay? We have all sinned against God. And because of our sin... And because God is holy, he cannot and he will not be in relationship with us. God and sin cannot exist in the same place. See, we in our humanity have sinned against God. Our sins have separated us from God, which robs us of the very reason we were created in the first place. See, the Bible tells us in Ecclesiastes that eternity is written on our hearts. That's why we know that there's got to be something more to this life. We long for something more to this life. We know there's got to be more than just earning a paycheck, saving for retirement, going on vacations, filling our life full of stuff, trying to get into a relationship. We know that there's got to be more to this life than just this. And so what we've done as human beings is we've come up with our own ways to try to get back to God. Let me give you a couple here. One way that we try to get back to God is we try to get back to God through religion. See, religion is a man-made system of rituals and practices and ceremonies that we perform hoping to earn God's favor. We like to think, well, if I could just do enough church stuff, if I could just do enough religious stuff, then maybe God will accept me. That's why a lot of people go to church. I mean, let's just be real. It's Easter today. That's why a lot of us are here today. We think by participating in this ceremony that somehow we can make God happy with us. See, but God doesn't want you to have a system. He wants you to have a savior. A system says, I know what I can do. I know what I need to do to achieve to be right with God. And so you might be sitting here today and you might be thinking, well, you know what, if I just come to church enough, If I get 70% church attendance, then God's going to be happy with me. If I show up to Mother's Day, give him a bonus one, then he's going to be happy with me. You know, if I get baptized, that's what I need to do to be saved. If I could just be baptized into the church, then all will be well. I'll be saved. If I could pray enough, if I could read the Bible enough, if I read a couple of books of the Bible in my entire lifetime. Better yet, what if I give to the church? I'll buy my way into heaven. What if I give enough? Then maybe God will accept me. God will not be happy with you because listen to what Isaiah says, that our sin is so real. There's a separation between us and God. 
and he, he has hidden his face from you. Meaning that all your self-effort in religion, he doesn't even see it. He won't look at all of your religious acts that you've done and say, oh, I didn't see that you gave that much money to the church. Oh, well, come on in. Or I didn't know you prayed that many hours or you had that church attendance. That's not how it works. No matter what you do, how religious you try to be, how many religious acts you try to do, it will never cover up your sins. Religion always falls short of reconciling us back to God. So if religion doesn't work, we move on to the next thing. And the next thing is good works. For the non-religious crowd, we realize religion won't do the trick. Religion is condemning more people than anything else. So we think, well, I'm just going to try to be a good person. I'm going to do good works to attempt to earn favor with God by doing good things. We might even admit and go, okay, yeah, I, I can admit that I might have lied. You're right. You know, I, I might have done some wrong things. God might not be very happy with me. But you know what I'm going to do to make up for it? I'm going to serve at the rescue mission. I'm going to give money to the poor. I'm going to feed the homeless. I'm going to go visit this nursing home and serve them over there. And we end up doing all these good things, which those are all good things. And we think, well, I just did all those things. Then maybe God will accept me. Here's the problem. Our sins have so separated us from God that he has hidden his face from us. He doesn't see our good works. He doesn't hear our good works. Because he is holy, all of our good works will not cover our sin. And it falls short of reconciling us back to God. So we, so we go, well, if religion doesn't work, good works doesn't work, then I'm going to try morality. And you might be thinking, well, what's the difference between morality and good works? Good works is our attempt to earn God's favor by doing good things. Morality is our attempt to earn God's favor by not doing bad things. So we go, okay, yeah, 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 I get it. I've done some bad things. I've messed up in my life. You know, I know I've blown it. But today, today is the day that I'm going to have a fresh start. I'm not going to lie anymore. I'm not going to steal anymore. I'm not going to cheat anymore. I'm not going to smoke or chew or go out with women who do anymore. I'm not going to be dishonest anymore. From this day forward, I'm going to be a new person. I'm going to turn over a new leaf. Today is a fresh start. Let me ask you, how's that working out for you? How many times have you had to turn over a new leaf? How many times have you had to have a fresh start only to discover that it wasn't sufficient to cover your sins? Because listen, we could be as good and as moral as we really want to be, but it won't change the fact that we've already sinned against God. And your sin and my sin against God has broken our relationship with him. And we can't get to God on our own. So to add bad news and more bad news, Romans 6.23 says, For the wages of sin is death. Now we know what a wage is. A wage is something that you earn. So if you work a job that pays $10 an hour, you work 40 hours a week, you've made $400 that week. It's yours. It belongs to you. You deserve it because you worked for it. The Bible tells us that we've all sinned against God, that we've also earned something. It's ours. It belongs to us. But let's even take it a step further. We deserve it. Here's what I mean by that. If I get what I deserve because of my sin, then I'm going to die. But not only am I going to die physically, I'm going to die spiritually, separated from God for all of eternity. That's what I deserve because of my sin. And there's nothing I can do on my own to cover my sin. 
all that stuff that we try to do to cover our sin will fall short. And that's a problem for us. But here's the best news. Here's the best part of the story. And this is the reason why we celebrate. Here's the best part and the good news of Easter, that God loved you and God loved me, that he sent Jesus to die in our place. God has a plan. That's the third thing. God has a plan. Look at verse 5 again. It says, For there is one God, and there is one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all, which is the testimony given at the proper time. Here's the story of the Bible. God made you and me for a reason. He made us to know him, to love him, and to be known and loved by him. And we are to live all of life out of the overflow of that relationship. But apart from that relationship, we'll never have meaning, purpose, or value. We won't have eternity in heaven with God. We won't have hope, and we won't have a future. God made us for that reason. But we sinned against God. We rejected God, and we did sin. We chose sin. And that broke our relationship and, and forever separated us from God. And there's nothing we can do to change that. But God so loved us that he gave Jesus. And he came into this world to stand in the middle and do for us what we could not do on our own. To reconcile us back to the Father. And you might be thinking, well, why did God have to bring us back together again? Why, why did Jesus have to come and stand in the middle? And I'm glad you asked that question. It says here in our text in 1 Timothy, he gave himself. And here's what happened. God is on one side and we're on the other side. And there is sin right in the middle separating us from God. And there was nothing we could do to change it. And yet God sent Jesus into the world. Jesus took on humanity. And here's what that means. Jesus became a man. The one who spoke all of uh, life, all of everything into existence. The one who created galaxies, this earth, and everything entered time. He became a human being, and he did for us what we could not do. He perfectly fulfilled the law of God. And Jesus was the spotless sacrifice. And Jesus took sin on his body, and he laid it on the cross. Listen, the Romans didn't kill him that day. Satan did not kill him that day. Our Bible tells us he gave himself for us. And so what happened on that cross is Jesus took all of your sin, all of my sin, and he put it on himself. He took every thought, every word, everything that you've ever done, the secret things, the things that you have regrets over, the failures, the mistakes you've done, every action, every desire. Jesus took it all on himself on that cross, and he died for our sins. And you might think, well, why did he have to die for our sins? That seems a little extreme. Like, why, why did he have to do that? Well, remember what Romans said. The wages of sin is death. We owed a debt we could not pay. So Jesus came and he paid a debt he did not owe. He offered himself as a substitute on the cross, and he became sin for us. He died paying the price for our sin. But listen, if that's all he did was die then we still have no hope. 
But the reason why we gather today, the reason why we gather every Sunday, the reason why we could celebrate today is because Jesus did not stay dead. He rose again, defeating sin, hell, death, and the grave, and he is alive. And God accepted Jesus' sacrifice on that cross. And because of Jesus, we could be reconciled. We could be brought back to the original purpose, the original way that God designed us to live, to be in relationship with him. And that is the story, the good news of Jesus. And I'm going to close with this, and I don't want you to miss this. So hang out for two more minutes. Look at what 1 Timothy 3 says. It says, this is good and pleasing in the sight of God our Savior, who desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of truth. Don't miss this here. That phrase, desires all people to be saved in the Greek, is in the passive voice. And here's why this matters. When something in the Bible is in the passive voice, the subject isn't doing the action. The subject is receiving the action. Meaning this, salvation isn't something you and I do. We cannot, through our religion, through our good works, through our morality, save ourselves. Salvation is a work from Jesus, from the Father, and it's what God has done for us through Christ. But then look at what it says, and to come to the knowledge of truth. To come to is in the active voice, meaning the subject is doing the action. So here's what all of this means. Everything that needed to be done to reconcile us, to bring us back into relationship with the Father, for you and I to be saved has already been done in Jesus. And here's the action steps you need to take. You need to come to him by faith. You need to know that you're a sinner, that you're not living your life the way that God originally designed you to live your life, that you're separated, and there's nothing you can do to get close to the Father. And so you confess those sins. You turn from that sinful lifestyle, and you turn to Jesus. And when you do that, by faith, you receive Jesus into your heart and into your life. That's it. Earlier, we read in Romans 6.23, That the wages of sin is death. It's not a very hopeful verse. It's not a very exciting verse at all. But don't miss the hope of the passage because it's found in the second half. It says, but the free gift of salvation, the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus, our Lord. So here's the question for you today. Where are you? Are you in relationship with him? Are you living your life saved in that oneness, that closeness with Jesus? Or is God on this side and you're on this side and sin has separated you and you're not living the way that God designed you to live? If you're living separated from your Savior, then today I want to give you an opportunity to receive Jesus, to come and to be in relationship with him. Thanks for joining us for this message from Awaken Church. We'd love to hear how this message or the ministry of Awaken has impacted your life. Let us know at awaken.church forward slash my story.